Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to start this message with a question. If you knew you were going to die and you could write a note to your friends and family, what message would you leave behind? Think about that for a moment. Not many people experience a moment in their life when they know they're going to die. What would you say? There was a Time Magazine article on this. The article said it's almost an instinctive thing that in that moment when people know they're going to die, they wanna send a message. They want someone to know their story. Uh, Passengers on a plane spiraling down to their death will use the last moments of their life to write letters to loved ones. Uh, Prisoners of the Nazis in a Warsaw ghetto, having seen everyone else shot or starved to death, take their last breaths to write notes and store them in crevices in a wall in the hope that someone beside the Nazis would read them and know their story. In that final moment, all the scaffolding of life gets stripped away. All the stupid toys that we spend our lives chasing, success, reputation, security, wealth, comfort, ease, they mean nothing. And a person is left with what they really believe, what uh, they've really built their life on. If that moment were to come for you, and one day it will, we spend our whole lives pretending it will never come, but whether it's recognized or not, that final moment will come. If it were here for you right now, what would you write? What message do you want to leave behind? Well, in Daniel 3, this moment came in the lives of three young men. These are young men of great promise. They had risen to positions of eminence in the world's most powerful nation. Uh, They could look forward to great families, uh, deeply fulfilling lives, doing noble things for their people and for their God. Their hearts were full of hopes and dreams. And I'll tell you what has been so striking to me about their story. Usually, when this moment comes, when someone realizes death is inescapable, like there's nothing they can do, often the last message is an expression of regret at having to leave life. But here, for these three men, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, death was imminently escapable. I mean, they all they had to do was say the word and bend the knee, and their nightmare would be over. They would live and be restored to positions of power and honor and status. Uh, They were headed toward unimaginable pain and death, and one word would mean life for them. But they wouldn't say it. They would not say that word. They would not bend that knee. Life or death, and they choose death. And I have to tell you, that kind of devotion to God really is possible for ordinary people. This is what they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
And that looks like their final word. Now we pick it up in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Literally, that could be translated, and the expression of his face changed. When they were first brought to him for not bowing down, he was mad, but he kind of had a velvet glove approach with them. In verse 15, he tries to woo them to the other side. Now, when you hear the music, he says, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image of gold, very good. You can have everything back. But in the face of their uncompromising devotion, their staggering commitment to face death rather than uh, disobey God, Nebuchadnezzar loses control. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Let me just say a word about this. Seven is often used in, ancient, in the ancient world as a metaphorical way of saying a lot. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I want you to crank that furnace up as hot as you can make it. I mean, think for a moment about what these men are facing. Are you afraid of fire? <laughs> are you a pyro who just woke up? Like, what's he talking about? Did he say something about fire? Um, if you're not afraid of fire, you probably haven't been burned by it. If you've experienced being burned, either like a minor burn from a match or maybe a burn from a hot stove, you have a healthy fear of fire. You know that it can hurt you. Now, in addition to the physical pain that can be involved in this situation in Daniel 3, you need to know that to deliberately burn someone, to burn someone to death, is historically one of the most inhumane forms of execution. It involves treating a human being like an object, like a stick of wood to be disposed of. So there wouldn't even be a corpse left to mourn, which in the ancient world was a big deal. Historically, it's been reserved for uh, witches or heretics, people that society wants to dispose of. This is one of the, the cruelest, most painful, and most inhumane treatments in the whole cruel history of the human race. And that's what these three men are waiting for. They're waiting to be thrown into the flames. This is the fate that they will face voluntarily, knowing that at any moment, a single word could save their lives. Look at verse 21. So these young men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. These men are so firmly bound that they have to be carried and thrown into the furnace. And the furnace is so hot that even the men who carried them up there are killed by it. Now these details are important to the writer. The writer wants us to understand that Nebuchadnezzar's rage is so intense, he's killed some of his own men and it doesn't even register with him. This is not a story about people being thrown into a little fire. Like there is no hope, humanly speaking. Immobilized bodies are being tossed into a raging inferno. That's the setting. And I wanna stop for a moment and ask you to try as best you can to imagine the experience of these three men facing what looks like their final moment. They've been faithful 
to the very end. Like since they first heard about this command to bow down before a statue of gold, they've seen the end coming. And every avenue, every door, every exit has been closed. But they have been faithful to the very end. And they're carried now to the furnace. I mean, these are real people filled with courage and maybe some fear, maybe some defiance and definitely some faith. And they feel the heat. They've seen the men who carried them to the furnace collapse and die from flames. And then they're in the fire and they wait for the searing pain, for the numbness, for the smoke inhalation that will suffocate their lungs, but it doesn't come. They don't feel any different. And it begins to dawn on them that they're not even warm. There are no burns. There, are, there is no smoke. They're not even tied up anymore. They're walking around in the fire. And that's not even the best part. The best part is what happens that turns this from a miracle into a divine encounter. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. The translation of that word could be trepidation because it includes an element of fear. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There's a fourth member of this furnace club, and he's unharmed. Apparently, he's the one who has delivered the other three, and he convenes a little meeting, like right there in the furnace. Who was the fourth man who appears from nowhere and can cheat death and looks like uh, the appearance of the son of the gods? Well, the text doesn't say, but I kind of think it was Jesus. Um, it sounds like the kind of thing that he would do. And they're walking around together in the furnace, Apparently, they spend a little time together. Like they had the world's greatest small group meeting right there in the furnace. Like one leader, three group leaders. They were going to have an open chair, but it burned up. <laughs> I wonder what they said to each other. I wonder if the fourth man in the furnace told them how proud the father was of their loyalty and their devotion and their love. I wonder if he told them that because of this one act of faithfulness of theirs, their names, like those rather grotesque names that the Babylonians had given them so they would forget about the names that had God in them, their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be remembered for thousands of years. Like their names would be remembered two and a half millennia later on the other side of the world by a totally different culture and language. Like we remember their names. I wonder if he told them that for centuries all around the world, men and women who face suffering or persecution or trial or even death would be immeasurably strengthened by hearing the story of what these three men have done. And I wonder what they said to the fourth man. I'll bet they poured out adoration and gratitude and wonder and worship like they had never done before. It's a funny thing, you know, they, they came to this place planning on having to withhold worship from a false god, and they end up worshiping like they had never done in their lives. Like, worship is like that. And the furnace 
which looked like it meant the end of their lives, turns out to be the greatest thing they've ever experienced. It's like the, the can't miss event of their lives because the furnace turns out to be the place where they meet God. Here's the whole point of this story. They were hoping to be delivered from the furnace, but God decided to deliver them in the furnace. Sometimes God delivers us from the furnace, but sometimes God delivers us in the furnace. Jesus said to them what he says to people still, I'll meet you in the furnace. The place where complete surrender and commitment leads you uh, that looks scary and dangerous and painful, even may look like the end, it turns out to be where Jesus is. It turns out, amazingly enough, to be the safest place of all. It turns out to be the adventure of a lifetime. And Jesus says to people still, I'll meet you in the furnace. Follow me. It's going to be dark. It's going to look dangerous. It's going to scare you. But just keep following me. I'll meet you in the furnace. And he says it still. And he may be saying it to you right now. All right, we'll come back to this text in just a moment. So last week, uh, Matt left us to consider how courageous faith allows us to take a step forward with and for God, even when we know that the outcome may not be what we expect or hope. We practice lives in faith with deliverance, and sometimes we get to see how resilience and deliverance go hand in hand. In 2019, Hillsong United released a song called Another in the Fire, in which they sing and they recount these stories of resilience and deliverance. And the song celebrates the God who stood next to the men in the fire, who parted the Red Sea, and who delivered through the actions on the cross. These are just a few of the stories and the times in which we see God acting in the midst of resilience for deliverance. The stories of the furnace, the story of the exodus, they're complemented by stories of Esther and Hagar, Paul and Peter. We see these in our own lives, too. I've, I've shared very openly about my own struggles with addiction and my sobriety, but this one moment stands out as I've been listening to Matt. I had reached a point of utter hopelessness, right, believing that I'd never be free. And, and not only that, but because of my age and the age of my kids, I believed as they started to have kids that my presence wouldn't be welcome in the lives of my grandchildren. You know, so fast forward to now, not only am I welcome, but I topped the list of among the most desired by my kids and my grandkids. And I'm going to be forever grateful to God for delivering me. But also, I had to go all in. I had to jump into the furnace, as it were. And God showed up, just like He always does. You see, God works in our resilient faith. And sometimes, as God works, we find deliverance. And guess what? God delivered twice in this story. God delivers the men in the furnace and then God delivers Nebuchadnezzar. That's what Matt's going to talk about next, so let's jump back in. All right, let's continue where we left off in the text. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. It doesn't say it, but I bet he approached it from a considerable distance. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Wouldn't you love to see that walk? And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. 
They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The writer says that their robes weren't even scorched. You know, back in verse 21, the writer goes into some detail about the clothes they wore, uh, the robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes. Now, why does he do this? Because he has an eye for fashion? <laughs> no, he wants us to understand the extent of this miracle. Not only are the men saved and their hair isn't singed, God even protects their clothes. In fact, the clothing named in verse 21 is quite obscure. You may notice if you look at different translations that they're handled differently by different translators. I think the term translated robe may be a covering for the upper body that had an inscription in Aramaic. The king threw me in the fiery furnace and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. All they came away from the fire with were just the clothes on their back. All right, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. Who's the king? Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. This man killed his own soldiers and his carelessness didn't even register with him. And now he congratulates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for having the audacity to defy his authority. I mean, something's going on in this man's life. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He doesn't just restore them. He lifts them up to new positions, to more opportunities to serve and to have influence. And I wonder what the rest of their lives were like. We don't know. Uh, this is the last view we have of them. It's the last time they're mentioned in scripture. But I wonder as they went through life, if they ever thought about how easily they might have missed this adventure, how easily they could have missed it. If they had given into fear, like one word, one bent knee, and they would have missed this adventure of their lives. They would have missed their greatest encounter with the fourth man in the furnace. I wonder if then, when they were real old men, many, many years later on the anniversary of this date, like, did they get together and remember? And did they wear their old robes, which their wives, of course, would try to get them to throw away because they had holes in them or they were out of fashion, but they wouldn't do it? And did they remember the time that they were young men full of courage and faith and they defied a king and walked around in flames and spent a few moments with the living God? I bet they did. I bet they never forgot that moment. Because I'll tell you something, if you ever spend time in the furnace, if you ever trust God enough to go to the places that look so frightening and so dangerous and so scary, if you ever trust him so fully that you refuse to say the word to bend the knee to another God and you go to that place that looks like the end and you meet with him there, 
I think that marks you. I think you carry that moment to your grave. Going into the furnace, which looked like the last thing that they wanted to do, turned out to be the greatest event of their lives. And ironically enough, the furnace, which looked like death, turns out to be the safest place of all. Why? It's because God was there. Because sometimes God delivers people from the furnace, but sometimes God delivers people in the furnace. And I think those times are the greatest times of your life. I mention this because I think there's this great danger, maybe the greatest danger for Christ's followers living in a world as comfortable as the world we live in. The danger is that the primary goal of my life becomes furnace avoidance. My prayer is, God, deliver me from pain. Deliver me from discomfort and suffering and inconvenience. Make my life smooth. Make my life easy. Make my life comfortable. Make it pleasant. Remove obstacles from it. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times God said no. But then God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God says to Paul, I'll meet you in the furnace. And if you know anything about Paul, you know pretty much that he spent his whole life in the furnace. But that's where God was. Would you remember that? My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'll meet you in the furnace. I had the coolest image as I was thinking about this message. Uh, I had this picture of God having a calendar. Uh, I know he doesn't have a calendar because he's all-knowing and everywhere at all times, so he would never need to remember to go anywhere because he's already there. Uh, but I had this picture of God having a calendar, and on whatever date it was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their deal with Nebuchadnezzar, like whatever the time was, say it was like at 10 o'clock, I had this picture that God had it written down on his calendar, meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And then I thought, what if they hadn't shown up? I mean, their whole life as an adventure depended on that one decision, their willingness to face the furnace. And I wondered, as I thought about you, like where on his calendar does God have your name written down somewhere? Meet you in the furnace. And will you make it? Or might you bend a knee to the wrong God? So I wanna ask you to consider doing something quite dangerous today. No one can force you or manipulate you or coerce you. This must come from, from you, from within. I wanna ask you to consider this. Will you stop asking for less heat, if that's what you've been asking for? Will you stop asking for an easier or richer or more pleasant or more secure life? There's something better. It's amazing to me how often human heart, the human heart, the, the spirits and emotions of the human heart made in the very image of God gets attached to and, and wrapped up in, uh, kind of bound up and enslaved by such trivial and stupid things. Like someone cuts me off on the freeway. People get all bent out of shape. Like did my boss give me an angry look or hurt my feelings? 
Did I not get the recognition that I must have at work or at school or from someone I admire? Did I get an unexpected expense, you know, which means I can't have something that I, I feel like I have to possess? Did someone interrupt my important time? Is my career not going as high as I want it to go? Did someone create an obstacle in my life? I think as we're studying the book of Daniel, God is calling us to a deeper measure of commitment. And so I wanna ask you to consider to pray a dangerous prayer. And it's this, God, give me an opportunity to show my commitment to you. I don't ask primarily God for comfort or riches or ease or security. God, give me an opportunity to show my commitment to you. And if you're not sure, if you feel that the honest truth is your devotion level isn't where it should be, just talk to him about that. Just be real honest about it and ask for the presence of the fourth man in the furnace. You know, maybe it's work. Maybe you have people in your workplace who are far from God and they have uh, habits or behaviors that are really quite painful for you. And maybe you're asking God to deliver you from a work situation that you're in. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was not exactly up for the employer of the year award. And God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's willingness to go into the furnace to change his heart. Often people wanna go, uh, wanna get transferred to like a nicer job with nicer people. And maybe that would be a good thing, I don't know, maybe it would. But maybe God's plan is to have you right where you are, at least today, so that he can use you. Maybe he wants to grow you up in your judgment and your discernment and your ability to know when to speak and when to be silent and your ability to love someone when it'd be so much easier to resent them or dislike them or judge them or write them off. Maybe. Maybe you need to stop praying for deliverance from the furnace and ask for the presence of God who meets people there. Maybe there's a Nebuchadnezzar that God wants to reach and he wants to reach him through you. And you ought to quit praying to God to get away from him and ask God to meet you in the furnace. Maybe God's been whispering to you to get involved in some form of service. Maybe it's with the poor, or maybe it's in some form of service at Blue Oaks. Maybe it involves using a spiritual gift that you think you have and you're afraid to do it. You've been avoiding that, what feels like the furnace. Well, God is in the furnace. Would you just tell him that you'll meet him there? Maybe the furnace involves a relationship or financial hardship or giving or sacrifice, I don't know. I just know that the golden statue in our world tends to involve gods with names like comfort or ease or security or success. And somewhere along the line, too many people in too many churches have gotten the idea that following Christ has something to do with an easier life. And so I'll put it to you in the form of a question. How many heroes of our faith had easy lives? How many? How many of those people written down in the great 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, had easy lives? Where did Jesus say to his followers, God has a wonderful plan for your life and that, that primarily involves a great house and an attractive spouse and a terrific job and a wonderful car and an endless succession of easy days. Where does Jesus say that? 
what Jesus basically said to people was, follow me. And you know, you're gonna have this great big God at your side and you're gonna have outrageous joy and you're gonna be in trouble all the time. And they followed him. And they followed him by the hundreds and by the thousands and by the tens of thousands. They followed the same path that we, he walked on. They followed him through servanthood. They followed him through sacrificial generosity. They followed him through community. They followed him through suffering. They followed him through persecution. They followed him uh, through death. Throughout history, hundreds and thousands of ordinary men and women, most of whom long have since been forgotten, names and faces that will never be remembered in this world, said that they were willing to go to the furnace. They loved God that much. They said, I will give everything for you and I'll die for you. And when they did, when their final moment came, which it will for you, they knew not to fear. God did not forget them or overlook them or abandon them. God said to them what he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what he said to Stephen, who was the very first follower of Christ to be martyred, what he said to Paul and Peter, who were persecuted and beaten and jailed and probably martyred as well, what he said to Martin Luther and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what he said to Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, what he says to his followers still in China and Palestine and Compton, and maybe just maybe to someone today, right where you are, I'll meet you in the furnace. I'll meet you in the furnace if you dare, if you dare. You see, this is our day. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their day. Daniel had his day. Stephen had his day. Peter and Paul had their day. Mother Teresa had her day. This is our day. Our final moment is going to come. I don't know what furnace you're facing. Uh, I don't know what this means for you specifically. I just know who will meet you there. And he says, fear not. Though you pass through the flames, they will not burn you. They will not destroy you. He says, I'll meet you in the furnace. And maybe you need to say to God, all right, God, I'm scared, but I'll meet you there. Would you tell him that right now? If you can do that with a sincere heart, would you just tell him, I'll meet you in the furnace. I'm scared, I might be scared, but I'll meet you there. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray for those who are listening right now that wherever they are, I don't know the specifics, but maybe they're facing challenges in their life. Maybe they're facing the fire. I pray that this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would encourage them, that it would lift their spirits, that they would realize that they can face the fire and not be burned, that they can move into whatever that situation is, whatever that trial is, whatever that suffering it is, but you'll be there with them and you will provide in miraculous ways, just like you did with uh, the three and Daniel three. And God, I pray that we would go back to the story and that we would remember that you are still at work today in our lives, just the way that you were in their lives. And that you want us to take risks for you. You want us to be bold for you. God, I pray that we wouldn't bow to any other gods, that they, we would follow you with the kind of strength and courage and faith 
that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And God, I pray that we would experience the kind of uh, miraculous power that they experienced. Would you lead us in that way, God? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.